So what's your happy song? You know, that, that song that you, you listen to and it just immediately puts you in a good mood, just, just changes your attitude all the way around. What is your happy song? There's a lot of happy songs out there. I came across a list. I thought I'd share just a few that most people would say this is a happy song. One's by James Brown. You might want to take a guess. <laughs> I feel good. I knew you were going to say that. That's actually not the name of the song. Yeah. The name of the song is I Got You. You know, I got you. Boom, 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 boom. It's right there at the end of the course. That's a happy song. The Beatles. All you need is love. Very good. All you need is love. Katrina and the Waves. Somebody already hates that song. Man, I don't have a song. They play it all the time. Walking on Sunshine. Sometimes you got to do that. Louis Armstrong. What a wonderful world. Wow. Just a few happy songs. And there's thousands out there, you know. I mean, everybody in this room could have a different happy song. There's so many different happy songs out there. And most happy songs... No matter where you hear them or, or where you're playing them or where you're paying attention to, there's a, a story connected to them, right? There's some kind of story connected to that song. Probably one of my top two, top three happy songs is a song by a guy named Greg Long, and the song is Sufficiency of Grace. And the story behind it, it connects Pitt County Hospital in Greenville, North Carolina, with the Target and the Chick-fil-A down the road from the hospital. My friend Elton had just lost both of his legs in an accident on his farm, and I had just been over to see him at the hospital. Uh, Elton's life has, has fallen apart in a million different ways. And he spent the whole time encouraging me with God's word. He said, hey, let's just read the Bible together for a little bit. Now, we just, we just need to get God's word in our mind. And I left there and I went to Target. I bought the CD. I went into Chick-fil-A, went through the drive-thru actually, and got a big mega thing of uh, Coke. I also got a two liter of Coke inside of Target. And I drove home. It was an hour drive back to, the, to my house from the hospital. I drank all of that Coke on the way home. Yeah, all of it. Needless to say, the next day I was standing in the back of the, I don't remember the first name of it, the Pentecostal something holiness church up there at a funeral. I left the funeral early, drove straight to my doctor because my heart was racing 100 miles an hour. And he goes, have you been drinking much caffeine? Ah, just a tad, just a tad. So there's a story behind the song. And how God used it to encourage my heart in a moment. But maybe you don't have a happy song. You know? Maybe there's no happy song in your life. And if so, then we've got one for you. Imogene Heap has written a song just for you. It's called The Happy Song. Yeah, that's the name of it. This past week in New York Times Magazine, they published an article by Mark O'Connell, an author from Dublin, Ireland, where he confessed in the article that he plays the happy song about ten times a day. Now, why does he play the song about 10 times a day? Well, he plays it that much because of the huge impact it has on his 18-month-old daughter. If she is screaming, if she is crying, if she is cranky, if there's anything going wrong with her and he starts playing the happy song, she immediately calms down. How in the world is this possible? Well, technically, the song was written just for his daughter. It seems there's an ad agency in London on behalf of the baby food company Cow and Gate. They surveyed parents. They tested a bunch of sounds and music because they were trying to find a song that would scientifically be written in such a way that it would delight children from ages six months to two years. Six months to two years. Why? I'm pretty sure they were trying to sell baby food. You know, a little 
little control factor there, you know, get a little song playing and maybe people will go buy some baby food. Now, Mark O'Donnell said, unfortunately, he and his wife, neither one of them have gone and bought any cow and gate baby food, but he did say this about the impact of the song. The world is a complex and in many ways unthinkably dark place, and I am well aware that the window of time in which it is possible to transform my daughter's unhappiness into joy by playing a jaunty little song is already closing. It won't work forever because she won't forever be so small and innocent. But right now, it works. Right now, it's the greatest song ever written. If you got a baby, go get the happy song, download it today. It's my advice to you. Sounds like a good one. Every single one of us need a happy song. And we all need a happy song right now. Why? Because he's right. The world is a very complex place. It's a confusing place. It's a frustrating place. It's an aggravating place. It's a fearful place. It's a worrisome place. It's a stressful place. It's a dark place, a discouraging place, at times a depressing place. So we need a happy song. But we don't just need a happy song right now. We need a happy song that's more than just right now. We need a a happy song that can bring hope all the time. A happy song that has a message that doesn't die, that we won't outgrow. A song that truly will last forever. What kind of song is that? What kind of soundtrack provides that kind of hope into our daily lives? Let's see if we can find out. Psalm 1, verse 2, the psalmist writes, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, why does he start this sentence with, but his delight? Well, he's changing directions. He's saying, don't do this and start doing this. Okay. So what was the the don't do? Well, he just got through saying it in verse 1. Look at it. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. If you plan your daily life around the advice of people who have no regard for God, if you submit yourself to the activities of people who reject God's ways, if you have a critical attitude toward God, and toward the people of the church, then you will not be blessed. You you will not be happy. Those things do not bring delight. Now, will they bring some delight? Sure. Most of the time, generally speaking, when it comes to the advice of the world, it feels right in the moment. Most of the time, generally speaking, when it comes to the activities of the world, it it feels right in the minute. And when you are criticizing someone, it feels right in the moment. In fact, all of those things could feel good right up to the moment that you die. But when you wake up on the other side of death, you will discover that God is not an old man sitting in a rocking chair welcoming everybody into heaven that ever went to the Christmas Eve service. No, when you wake up, you'll discover that God is holy and unswervingly just. 
And if you are not in Christ, if you are not following after Christ, not not just praying a sinner's prayer, not just getting baptized or joining a church, if you are not following Jesus, then you will not be blessed. Jesus says it very interestingly. He says the language on that day could be like this for you. Matthew 25, 41, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, that's no happy song, Dow. Come on now. That's, that's true. It's, it's not a happy song. This is, this is no Hallmark movie. But see, as followers of Jesus, we as a church, we're, we're compelled to graciously and pleadingly proclaim to you the words of Jesus from his own mouth. This is what Jesus said. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whoever believes in him and trusts in him and relies on him and clings to him will not perish, will not come to destruction, but rather will have eternal, everlasting life. Blessed and happy and fortunate and forever satisfied is the man or the woman or the teenager or the boy and girl that discovers that the greatest thing in the universe is believing in Jesus. And they believe in Jesus and they keep believing in Jesus and they keep following Jesus. For the good of your soul, Don't rest your eternity just on a a sinner's prayer or a baptism or church membership from long ago. Are you following Jesus today? Are you following him today? What's a gauge? What's What's a measure? What's a helpful way to find out? Well, you can find out a lot by just asking one question. What makes you happy? What makes you happy? What do you delight in? Family? Friends? Maybe a round of football this afternoon, a couple NFL games going on, Super Bowl coming up. Maybe some fresh bacon, you know, you delight in that. Maybe some mostly fresh donuts, maybe, maybe you delight in that. You know. That's great, Th- those are all good, those are all fine. But can you, from your heart, agree with these words from the psalmist? Do you delight in God's law? Do you delight in the law of God? Now, someone might be thinking, delight in law? <laughs> I'm not an attorney. Why anybody want to delight in law? That sounds crazy. But don't get too caught up in the word. The psalmist is just referring to the Bible in the, in the language that was known. It was the, the Torah, the book of the law, what we know is the first five books of the Old Testament. He was just referring to it as as he knew it. God in his grace and his kindness added 61 other books to those first five books to to help us know him and to help us find him. But someone might say, well, how do we know that those 66 books are, are really the Bible? Well, there is a full buffet of resources out there for you to look at on that Um, If you'll go to the end of my sermon notes this week, I'll I'll put just a few resources, some links that you can go to. You can scroll down to the bottom of my notes online, and and there's some places that you can go and and read a little more. But there's there's a lot out there. I I just want to make a few quick comments about the Bible. 
There are 66 books. There are 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. There's 40 authors, inspired authors, inspired by one divine author. The Bible is broken down into six sections. We have the law, the prophets, the wisdom, the wisdom books, the Psalms, the Gospels, and the epistles. It was written over the course of about 1,500 years. It was originally written in three languages, Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. Around the 1,200s, they added chapter verses, and around the 1,500s, they added the verses to the chapters. Now, why do I share those little bit of facts, those little bit of details? Because it doesn't sound like the kind of book that's trying to trick the world. Doesn't sound like the kind of book that's trying to call you into the little cult so you can waste your intelligence and you can waste your time and you can waste your money and you can waste your energy in the local church. Rather, this book sounds like this global, multicultural, amazing, inspired message from God. A message that is not just for human life and human behavior, but a message that brings hope for the human soul. Robbie Zacharias tells a story of a young man who was defending his doctoral dissertation in front of a, a panel of academics. He was reprimanded for using hearsay in his dissertation. In other words, he didn't have any documentation for a lot of his information. It was just stuff that he had heard and knew about. So after he was reprimanded, this is what he responded to the panel. Just because something's written doesn't make it any more certain, does it? Well, the chairman of the panel had a fantastic comeback to that. He said this, all right then, I just want you to know that we will be granting you the degree, but it will not be in writing. You can just take our word for it. It matters sometimes if it's written down. Ravi goes on to say this, over the span of life, the word can be tested time and time again, and its truths will stand tall as our culture's fascination with the subjective proves itself to be hollow and false. By contrast, the biblical documents have withstood the most scrutinizing analysis ever imposed upon any manuscript and have emerged with compelling authenticity and authority. No other ancient literature demonstrates such a high degree of accuracy. Yes, repeatedly, the Bible rises up to outlive its pallbearers. That's good. There are plenty of people that are trying to put the book of God to death. They're, they're trying to carry it to its death. But the Bible just keeps rising and keeps rising and keeps surviving and keeps proclaiming the glory of God. Around 67 AD, the Apostle Paul wrote it this way to Timothy. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The Bible exists to equip you for every good work in life. From being single, to being married, to being a parent, to being a grandparent, to having a job, to being unemployed, whatever it is that happens in your life, the Bible exists to equip you for that work and for that moment. Robbie goes on to say this, 
All pursuits apart from God lead to alienation and loneliness that only the touch of Christ can resolve. The Christian, therefore, stands in the position to proclaim and live the truth that reaches the mind, stirs the heart, and purifies the imagination. The regenerative power of the Word is what makes it indispensable to every culture in every century. 51 years ago, when when this building was dedicated, you know the only reason that church existed? Because of the Word of God. 51 years from now, if this church is still here, it will only exist because of the Word of God. See, the the Word of God is what gives life to every generation and every century because it is God's truth from before the foundation of the world. Why should you read the Bible? Why does it matter? How can it impact your life? King David was one of the wisest and wealthiest and most successful people in history. And he has some amazing things to say about the truth of God, the the law of God in Psalm 19. Listen to these. We're just going to walk through them really slowly. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord, they're right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord, they're true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them... There is great reward. Great reward. What kind of reward does the Bible give? What kind of reward can you find in the pages of the Bible? It's the reward of knowing the truth about you and God. And and here's that truth. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, all. And then that truth continues in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. Falling short is not just getting a a D in geometry. Falling short is not just going five miles over the speed limit. Falling short is, is not just skipping a few of your reports on your taxes. Falling short is not just being an accomplice to a crime. Falling short is eternal death. That's how the Bible describes falling short. Not death like you die and you don't feel anything anymore, but death like you die and then physically and spiritually and practically somehow the most awful terror in the universe follows every part of your soul forever. That's how the Bible talks about falling short of God's glory. That ain't no happy song. But see, that's the the beauty of pure truth. Because pure truth gives you the bad news and it gives you the good news. 
Here's the good news, continuing on in Romans 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ Jesus, there is reward. In Christ Jesus, there is help for today, and there is hope for today. In Christ Jesus, there is a great life that lasts forever and ever and ever. Why should you make reading the Bible a priority? Why should you care if your spouse or your kids or your grandkids or your friends make reading the Bible a priority? What's the big deal? I was listening to a sermon by John Ortberg this past week, and he made just this this beautiful breakdown of the Bible. This is what he said. The Bible generates life. It creates faith. It provides guidance. It makes the foolish wise. It makes the faltering strong. It makes the discouraged hopeful. It is the first book to read to a little child. It is the last best book to read to a dying man. He goes on. It is so simple and yet so deep that the early church fathers and mothers used to say, a gnat could swim in it, but an elephant could drown in it. It corrects the erring. It inspires the daring. It encourages the despairing. It humbles those who are overbearing. Reading the Bible honors God and worries the devil. It reminds the lonely they have love for this life and heaven in the next. I promise you on your deathbed, there is no book that will speak to you the way this book will. In this book, we discover not so much how the world got made as by whom and what for. From this book, you will learn your identity and your family and your enemy and the awful calamity of your sin and the royal pedigree of your life as a child of the king and your eternal destiny as a citizen of heaven. He says this, if that were not enough, in this book you will meet Jesus, who alone mastered life and conquered death. The story of his actions, the unmatched brilliance of his teachings, the eyewitness account of his death on a cross and his resurrection are simply found nowhere else but this book. Nowhere else. You will never find what your soul longs the most for in any other book. God designed for your soul to find satisfaction and hope and joy in the pages of the Bible. So please, for the good of your soul, for the good of the souls of your family and your friends, read the Bible. Read the Bible. If you don't have one, then then come find me after church and, and we'll get you one. If there's one in the pew in front of you, take it. It ain't stealing. We're telling you right now. Take it with you. We don't want anything to come in between you and discovering what your soul needs the most. If you've got a smartphone, there's tons of free Bible apps out there. For $30 a year, you can use the Dwell app, and they have these amazing readings of the Bible with great background sounds and cool voices. It's fantastic. I, I use it every day. Whatever you have to do, do it. Whatever movement you can make to make sure that you find a way to start delighting in the law of the Lord, make that movement. And when should you do that? When should you delight in the law of the Lord? 
Look at the psalmist says next. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Somebody's already thinking, whoa, day and night, come on. I, I can't read the Bible day and night. I got stuff to do. I got to go to the gym. Got to go to yoga class. I got work. I got school. I need to watch NCIS. Man, I just can't be reading the Bible day and night. Look, I'm not handing out tickets for a guilt trip, okay? But, but let's, just, let's just think through this for a little bit, okay? What did you do yesterday? Just, just think through. What did you do yesterday? Just start in the morning. Did you read the paper? Did you drink some coffee? Did you scroll through social media? Did you check your email? Did you go play paintball? Did you go to the mall? Did you get your hair cut? Did you do some, some work in the garage? Did you do some work in the yard? Did you do some homework? Did you grill some steaks? Did you bake some cookies? What did you do yesterday? Whatever you did, great. I hope you had a fantastic Saturday. All that stuff is super. Maybe not the homework, but the rest of it. But none of those things have great reward. As good as any of those things may be, none of those things have great reward. None of those things is designed to help you see and know there is a way for the debt of your sin to be paid and for the gift of eternal life to be applied to your spiritual account. The only place you find that, the only reward that you will discover of that magnitude is in the pages of the Bible. It's God's Word by His design to let you know that in his book is found the greatest reward. So, did you read your Bible yesterday? I mean, it's all the other things that happened on your Saturday. Did you take time to look at the book that promises you the greatest reward in the universe? Brian Tabb is a husband and a father who lives in Minnesota. He said this, delight is a response of the heart to the beauty and value of something or someone, in this case, to God's Word. Now, we get that, right? We understand the concepts of, of beauty and value, right? It, it's why a guy will slow down when he sees a Ferrari parked downtown somewhere, you know, beauty and value. It, it's why a woman will slow down when she walks by in front of the jewelry store in that window. It's why a kid slows down at the Lego store. It's why a teenager slows down. Actually, never mind. Teenagers never slow down. Just forget that. It's why I slow down when I'm walking through the restaurant that has the three-level spinning tower of dessert. Yeah, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to watch that. That is beauty and value to me. We know beauty and value. We, We understand beauty and value. So, do you consider God's Word beautiful and valuable. Is the word of God, the the law of the Lord, something that we delight in and we put a a high value on? If we're honest, not so much. And why? I think at least one reason is because we don't get the second part of what the psalmist says right. We, We don't meditate 
Brian Tapp goes on to say this, our lives are unbelievably distracted. We are experts at multitasking, surfing, and skimming, but it is harder than ever to meditate. The word meditate, it means to mutter. <laughs> to mutter. So am I asking you to mutter? Someone's thinking, man, you mean I got to be like that old man I see walking around downtown, you know, wearing the Buffalo Bill Super Bowl champion hoodie, and he's got a dog leash, and there's never been a dog in it any time I've ever seen him, and, and he's just walking around just muttering. Are you saying that's what I'm supposed to be like? I'm supposed to walk around muttering like a crazy person. Not necessarily. But do you need to mutter? Yeah, you need to mutter. As the old saying goes, which I think is just fantastic, the Bible is bread for daily use, not cake for special occasions. Very true. The, the Bible is there for us to meditate on, to, to read, to digest, to mutter about all day long. It's not just a book for special occasions. You know, far too many of us, we, we come to church on Sunday, we hear a little bit of Bible, and, and we're done. You know, that's enough. I mean, I had to listen to that sermon. God, God preached for like 30 minutes. Isn't that enough Bible for me? I don't, I don't need any more than that, right? We're, we're just done. Some of us will read the Bible for a minute you know, 10, 15 maybe in the mornings, and, and, then, and then we're done. But the value, the reward is not just in the reading. The value, the reward is in the muttering. It's in the meditating. It's in the constantly engaging with. One little boy said this, thinking is when your mouth stays shut and your head keeps talking to itself. Meditating is when your head may stay shut, but you keep muttering to yourself. You, you keep engaging with God's Word. You hear the gospel, and you don't walk out of the building going, hey, let's go to Russia's. You hear the gospel, and you can't stop muttering to yourself, that is the hope of my life. That is why the flame will not hurt me. That is why my God will not forsake me. No, never, no, never, no, never. I need to mutter the gospel to myself. I need to never stop muttering the gospel to myself. If I look crazy, so be it. Let me mutter the gospel to myself. Amen. read a story this week about a, a thug in Sicily. Many years ago, he, he attacked a, a book dealer. This, this book dealer, all he dealt with was Bibles and devotional books about the Bible. And so this thug, he, he attacked the book dealer and he, he took all his books and he built a fire and he was going to burn all the books right there in front of him. And so he started ripping them up and, and started the fire. And for some reason, he decided to stop and, and read one of the pages and he didn't burn it. It was the 23rd Psalm. And he decided to read another page. And he read that, and it was the, the story of the Good Samaritan. And then he read another page, and it was what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians about love. And after every one that he decided not to burn, he would say, oh, that's, that's good. We won't burn that one. That, that, that's good. We, we won't burn 
even in that moment, he was finding a way to delight in the law of the Lord. As the story goes, the thug took all the books and he he disappeared. Years later, he returned. But when he came back, he was no longer a thug. He was a minister of the gospel. He had made it the purpose of his life to help people find Jesus. Listen, don't, don't burn all the days of your life with social media and video games and binge watching. Don't burn all the days of your life with, with walking after the advice of the world. Don't, don't burn all the days of your life with, with criticizing people just because they won't do it your way. No, rather, delight yourself in the law of the Lord. Keep muttering the gospel to yourself over and over again. Why? Because God's word, God's truth is the only thing that will make your soul happy. Or put another way, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only song and the only happy song that lasts forever.